This morning we're in Revelation chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation 19, picking up at verse number 11 today, and uh, talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11, and, and the remainder of this chapter. Uh, and so I'm excited, thankful to be here today talking about the return of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Jesus Christ, when you look back at his life, you know, we just came through Easter, and what an exciting time that is. And obviously, I know that we celebrate a risen Savior 365 days a year, uh, but Easter time is just that special time of year. And uh, so I'm excited today <clears throat> just about talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ came into this world born of the Virgin Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. He grew up, and uh, although Scripture doesn't give us a lot of his upbringing, we know that he knew no sin, but yet he who knew no sin, he took my sin and he took your sin and he became sin for us. And he laid down his life on the cross. And the Bible teaches us that not only did he lay down his life on the cross, he died on the cross, he was buried in the grave, and three days later he came up from the dead. And for the next 40 days he walked on the face of the planet. He walked on earth and he was engaging with his disciples on several different occasions. We talked about that just a few weeks ago, uh, but what an exciting time that was. And then when you get into the book of Acts, we read about how he gave his, basically, a mission. He, he commissioned uh, uh, the disciples, and we read that in the Gospels, but also in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Do you remember the moment all of the disciples are gathering around him? He's already been with them for 40 days post-resurrection, post and he gives them this mission. He says, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what I'm commanding you to do. Here's what I'm entrusting you to do. You shall be my witnesses. And there they are gathered together. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, uh, Jesus begins to ascend and he goes back into heaven. And, uh, and his disciples are standing around him and all amazed at what they're watching, their Savior, our Jesus, ascending to the right hand of the throne of God. And as they're standing there watching the ascension, the angel who is there, he asks the question, he, and again, he shares with them Acts chapter number 1 and in verse number 11. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Ever since that day, we have anticipated the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, uh, you think about it. He, you know, he says, I'm, I'm going to come again. He tells us over in John 14, I'm coming again. He ascends. The angel said, hey, just like you watched him go up, he's coming back one of these days. And so the disciples in that first century lived with what we would call an imminent view of the return of Jesus Christ. All that simply means is that he's coming again, and it might be today. And so, it, and so it energized them. It, it kept them on their toes, you, you might say. 
uh, uh, knowing that, hey, I'm not guaranteed a tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed an eternity. He's not coming again someday. Someday, maybe today. And so I want to be ready when I see the King of Kings coming back. They live life with an imminent view of the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, is that as time has passed by, we now have kind of gotten over the imminent view of the return of Jesus Christ. And although we would say, he's going to come again, but we, rather than saying, it, but it might be today, and, and really convinced that it might be today, we say, well, he's coming again, but it will be someday. It's going to be someday. In fact, there are some people, I remember being in youth ministry down in, in Orlando, Florida, and, uh, and I had a, a high school girl, and I just talked about the rapture, actually, and, uh, and afterwards she came up to me, and, she, and they used to call me Brother Brian down there. They're like, Brother Brian, Brother Brian. And she said, uh, do you really believe that Jesus is going to come again? Because it's been like a couple thousand years. And, uh, and I said, absolutely he's coming again, because he said he would. He said he would. Uh, the angel said he would. He will come again one of these days. What a day that's going to be. And so this morning, before we get into the text, let me just give clarification because when we talk about the return of Jesus Christ, there's actually the rapture of the church and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two different events, two different time periods. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment. The rapture of the church. In other words, it is unannounced. We don't know. Even the Son doesn't know when that's going to happen. And it's not about the church coming down with Him, but rather the church being called up to Him. The Bible describes it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so the rapture is going to happen unannounced. The church disappears. And then we have the tribulation period that we've been talking about. And, uh, and those days are numbered. In fact, uh, it, it, they, they, the scriptures give us a seven-year period. In fact, in the midst of that, if you remember what takes place, there's going to be the abomination, desecration in the temple. And three and a half years later to that day uh, will be the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, and when he does return, so we have the rapture unannounced, unseen, the church disappears. The return of Jesus Christ, it's not the church going up to meet him, but the church coming back with him to establish his earthly kingdom, all right? And so we're talking today about the return of Jesus Christ, which happens at the end of the period of we call the tribulation. And so the return of Jesus Christ. Either way, I'm going to be with him on that day. Uh, so what we're talking about this morning, if you are saved, you will be with Jesus with what we're talking about this morning. So uh, Revelation 19, watch this, beginning in verse number 11. The Bible says this, <clears throat> And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men, and slaves, and small, and great. Verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. And their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized with him, the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had, had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh." This morning, we're looking at these three visions, basically. And so when we talk about the book of Revelation, we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. One revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to know King Jesus. And yet there are many visions. This morning, we have three different visions that we're going to talk about in this text right here. Uh, we have the first vision being the coming of the king, the coming of the king. The second vision is the banquet for the birds. And the third vision would be that of the banishing of the beast. And so this morning as we begin, we're looking at the first several verses of this passage of Scripture talking about the coming of the king. Verse number 11 through verse number 16. And he says, I saw heaven opened up. This is the second time that we read these words uh, uh, from John the Revelator. He says, I saw heaven opened up. The last time we read that was back in Revelation chapter number 4, and he said, I saw a door of heaven open, and then all of a sudden the voice of him who was there said, hey, I want you to come up here, all right? And so we have a coming up. It's kind of representing, I believe, what we would call the rapture today. John goes up. Now today, heaven opens up, but instead of John going up, Jesus comes down. And so there's a difference when we're looking at these texts of Scripture. And so as we look at this coming down or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to walk through verses 11 through 16 two times over, all right? The first time, we're going to just consider the names. We're going to consider the names of the one who's coming. We're going to consider the names of Jesus Christ, the one who will return one of these days. And first of all, he says this. He says, hey, here's the first name I want you to know about Jesus. Why the names? Because names are very descriptive of who he is, and one name is not sufficient to describe who Jesus Christ really is. And so he says, I want you to know, first of all, he's the faithful and the true. He's the faithful and the true. If he said it, it is true. If he said it, he will do. If he said it, he will never let you down. All right? And so he is faithful and true. And, and, and that cannot be said of anybody, even in this building today. No other human on the planet can it be said, he's faithful and true, even though the intent of my heart is always to be faithful and true. Because I'm a fallen person with a corrupted flesh, I'm not always faithful and true looking at me funny neither are you <laughs> he is he is what he says 
he will do. Think about everything he is. In fact, the Bible says he's never going to turn his back on you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5 says, hey, he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Uh, Your money will say goodbye, but he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He's always going to be there for you. When you think about through scripture, don't have time to walk through all of it, but here's some of the promises that he made. Watch this. All of a sudden, Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples, and in the gospel of Mark, over in uh, Mark's gospel, chapter number 9, verse number 31, Jesus Christ says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him. And when he's been killed, he's going to rise three days later. What he said, he did. He rose again three days later. In John chapter 14, Jesus Christ said in verse number 16 and following, he said, hey, I'm going to send another helper to you. In John 14 uh, and verse number 16 through 18, says it like this. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper uh, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He said, I'm going to send him, and he sent him. What he said, he will do. Why? Because he is the faithful and the true. Jesus also said, hey, I'm going to come back again one of these days, over in John's Gospel, again, John chapter 14, verses number uh, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ is coming again. How do you know he's coming again? Because he's faithful and true. Not only is he faithful and true, the Bible goes on and says, here's the second name. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Why is it a mystery? Because we don't know what it is. Uh, a, A mystery, when you're talking about a mystery in Scripture, is a truth that's concealed that one day will be revealed. And so when we're talking about Jesus Christ, here's the good news about the mystery when it comes to his name. What does that mean for us? That means that, hey, you will always be learning throughout all of eternity something new, something fresh, because you'll never have a complete understanding of who he is. And if you ever come across somebody that thinks they've got all the answers and can describe everything that Jesus is, including his sovereignty, then you've met somebody that has no clue who he is. He has a mystery about his name that we'll never, ever completely understand. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. We're finite and he's infinite. He's got one name that's simply a mystery. And if you ever come across somebody, by the way, that says, man, I've been studying and I kind of know what that name is. He's a liar. He doesn't know what his name is. Because the Bible says it's a mystery. We don't know. One day, we'll know. Whenever he chooses to reveal. Not only is it a mystery, he also has another name. The Word of God, verse number 13, as we're walking through the passage of Scripture. He says, uh, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You know what? We, we, we know him as the Word, right? Uh, John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on down if you read through the passage of Scripture. And it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. Why? Because words reveal who you are. 
Words reveal who you are. They even reveal who you are and who we are. You ever think about that? You ever seen somebody? Here, here, you ever seen somebody and, and you're like, man, I really, that's an interesting looking person. I'm not in a funny way, but I'm just saying, that's an interesting looking person, right? They're, man, that's somebody I'd like to get to know. And they open, your, they open their mouth and you're like, mm, no. <laughs> They're not that interesting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because words reveal. And, and, and do you know that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of who God the Father is? He's the Word of God. Hebrews, we've been reading through Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 1 and in verse number 3, the Bible says it this way. Hebrews 1, verse number 3. And he, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of of his nature, and he upholds all things by the power of his word. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He reveals to us who God Almighty is. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. That's who he is, Jesus. And he's coming again one of these days. And I believe that he saved the best for last. In verse number 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, uh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, over in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter number 16, uh, not 16, there's not 16 chapters. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, uh, the Bible says it like this. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That again speaks to his sovereign rule, that he will come and he will conquer all kings and he will establish his throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of Lords, there is no rival. He alone is God Almighty. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, Scripture even says it like this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Almighty. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the one who is coming again. And then he has this description uh, of who he is as we read through these first several verses from 11 through 16. Number one, it says he's going to be riding on a white horse, riding on a white horse. The first time he came, if you remember, he came riding into town on a donkey. But this time he's coming back in victory. The first time was in humiliation. This one he comes in exaltation in all of his splendor and in all of his glory. He comes riding on a white horse. What a day it's going to be when he comes again. It says his eyes are like the flame of fire in verse number 12. His eyes are like the flame of fire in verse number 12. It's speaking about his x-ray vision. I mean, better than Superman. Superman can see through walls, but God can see into the heart. And there's nothing that escapes his vision. There's so many different directions you can go when you're talking about his eyes being like fire. That he sees the core of who we are. And you know what we're prone to do? 
is we're prone to try to hide when we mess up. I mean, that's what happened ever since the beginning, right? Ever since the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. Where'd they go? They tried to play hide-and-seek with God. How do you play hide-and-seek with someone with x-ray vision? And you remember, you remember what God said? God said, hey, hey, Adam, where are you? The question was not God seeking information like, oh, I don't know where you are, but rather he was just giving Adam an opportunity to really figure it out. Hey, where are you? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? And this morning, hey, you may be here today and feel like, man, I, I'm just trying to hide from God. But you can't. But can I tell you something? He sees all the darkest places, and yet he still loves us unconditionally. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. And this morning, if you've been running, and if you are running, and you're trying to hide from God this morning, come on out, because he sees and he knows and he's the answer. He's got x-ray vision. First time he came. He came as Savior. We're living life during the days of grace. When he returns, he's coming in judgment. Nothing escapes. He sees all. He knows all. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory God, and that's why we need to call on his name while we can. His eyes are like fire. Verse number 12 says there are many diadems on his head. The ruler's crowns, that's what he's talking about. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns for you and for me. This time he's coming back, and he's going to have the ruler's crowns on his head. Why? Because he's going to conquer every last one. He's the only one who will be ruling during that millennial kingdom that we're going to get into in a few weeks. His robe is dipped in blood, described in verse number 13. And some people, some people may say, well, you know, that's kind of the reminder of the victory. The victory was had on the cross, right? Uh, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ serves as a reminder. And I would say that's possible, and that's a good answer, but I, I believe that we're talking about it's the blood of his enemies that's been splattered. And where are you getting that from? Well, Isaiah chapter number 63. Isaiah 63, the Bible says it like this, beginning in verse number 1. <clears throat> who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah? This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, question is, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? He responds, I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk with my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. He has 
a spotted robe. And the Bible says there's armies with him in verse number 14. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And it goes on into verse 15. Who are the armies? Well, I think, I think we're talking about the saints of God. We're talking about the church. If you back up to verse number 8 in the description of the church at the supper, the Bible says in verse 8 of this same chapter, it was given to her to clothe herself, talking about the church, the saints of God. Clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So we've got the saints of God, but we also have an army, I believe, of angels. Matthew chapter 25. and Matthew 25, the Bible says it like this in verse number 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Jesus is coming again. And when He returns, not the rapture, but His return... He's coming to tread out the winepress, the fierce wrath of God. The Bible says in verse number 15 of our passage of Scripture, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. We, we read that several places in Scripture, this great day of the Lord that's coming one of these days. And what's the takeaway? Here, here's the takeaway. God takes sin seriously. The grapes have ripened. In other words, there's a ripening process. Today, what we do oftentimes is we look at his mercy as though he's maybe indifferent. And God has never been indifferent towards sin. He hates sin, and he's coming back to deal with sin one day. And it's going to be a bloody day. Verse 14. In fact, the Bible goes on to talk about the banquet for the birds in verse number 17 and 18. It's described in several different places. But the Bible says this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. There's this invitation to what we know as the are referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. When God Almighty tramples out sin. That's what he does. And the Bible describes it in a couple of places, but in Revelation 14, over in Revelation 14, verses 19 uh, and following, it says it like this. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city in blood, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Greatest bloodbath ever to happen on this planet. Ezekiel says it like this. Ezekiel chapter number 
39, Ezekiel 39, the Bible describes it this way, verse 17 through 20. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field, assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are gluttoned and drunk, drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioters, with mighty men, and all the men of war declares the Lord God. We're going to go on, and, and, it, and it says that what happens is, is all the armies of the earth are going to be gathered together, a couple hundred million, to go to war against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is on a horse, and we got white horses with him. <laughs> Y'all ever ridden a horse before? But can you imagine this scene? Because I believe what's going to happen is as they watch, I believe that the skies are going to grow really dark with a bunch of birds circling and waiting. Could you imagine what's going through the heads of those who are defiantly opposed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The Bible says the beasts will be banished and God will deal with them. Verse number 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So we have the Antichrist and the false prophet who are still deceiving people. And, and, And I just can't help but wonder, how in the world did you get these people to assemble with you against the one who you've just been experiencing for the last seven years, his judgment being poured out upon the face of the planet. I I just wonder. And and, and the only thing that crossed my mind was, you know, the the first time he came, we put him on a cross. This time, we'll kill him for good. But it didn't happen. It won't happen. The Bible says in verse number 20, And the beast, talking about the Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." The ultimate destination, the final destination of those who defiantly oppose the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal lake. The Antichrist and the false prophet are the first two to be banished forever. 
the rest of the army assembled against God Almighty is destroyed. And it's interesting because he says, out of his mouth, a sword. It's an interesting battle that happens because most of the time in battle, we have army men that go out and do the battle, and the general, the captain, stays back. But in this battle at the end, we're going to watch what happens. And our captain, our savior, the king of kings and the lord of lords, I believe speaks the word. There's power in his word. Think about how he did it and what I believe is going to take place on that day. If you look back throughout scripture, you will find that his word is powerful. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be uh, uh, mountains, and there were mountains. Let there be fish, and there were fish. Let there be birds, and there were birds. Even in his humanity, he was on the lake, and he said to the wind, wind, stop blowing, and it stopped. He said to the sea, stop and cease, and it did. And I believe that on this day, in the end, <clears throat> I don't know what he'll say. Maybe it's finished. And it's done. It's over. And he comes and establishes his earthly kingdom. The passage of Scripture is simply saying, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is coming again to rule and to reign. What a day that's going to be. He does take sin seriously. He does take sin seriously. In fact, so much so that while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let it be. And yet he willingly went to the cross for you and for me. Why? Because sin is costly. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins and so Jesus Christ himself said, I will pay the price. Why? Because I love them and I desire relation with them. And today, if you've never called on his name, call on his name while you may. Call on his name. We're living life in the days of grace. Why are these the days of grace? Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know what? His word is faithful and true. And so today, call on him while you may. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer? As we pray this morning, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, what about you? Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to see him one way or the other? We are all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And only those who have been born again, to be born from above, are saved supernaturally by the Spirit. And so this morning, I just want to ask the question, have you been born again? And if you haven't, I want to invite you to call on His name today. Call on His name today. But for the church, are you ready for that day? One day we're going to see Him. Are you ready for that day? What about your friends, your family? I mean, just before he went up, just before he went up, 
He said, oh, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. How are we doing, church? Has the world been given opportunity to respond during these days of grace through your witness? Have you given an opportunity? Oh God, help us. We're going to pray, and as I pray this morning, hey, brothers and sisters, if you're here and you say, man, I, I just haven't been a faithful witness, hey, repent this morning right where you are. Oh, God, you've called us to be your witnesses. And I've just been indifferent. Oh, God, forgive me. Give me opportunity even today. God, give me courage. Give me strength. I pray that the world would see you and hear your truth from my lips. Hey, what about those here that never been saved to be born again? Not, I'm not talking about religious. I'm talking about saved, a relationship, a no-so. I know that I'm ready because I've been born again. Jesus is my Savior. If you can't make that statement today, I'm inviting you to come, to call on His name. After we pray, we'll sing. As soon as the song is sung, you come today. You come today. Father, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this time that we have together. Lord God, I thank you that you're in control of all things. We look around at the world, it seems as though it's unraveling, and it is. But yet also we know that you are sovereign, and you have a plan and a purpose. Oh God, we thank you that we can trust you. Because you are faithful and true. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is none like you. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, have your way now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.